and welcome to BakaCast, episode number, I should have looked this up way beforehand, it's 386. Uh, I am your host Dustin, and with me today is Larry. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and Ben. What's up? Uh, and we will be talking about a few shows from the spring season here. Uh, as always, you can find show notes at www.projecthorror.net or at audioentropy.com. And uh, let's begin with One Punch Man, episodes three through four. Okay, so I, Gar- Garo's got a few screws loose. I do like Garo a lot. He's he's a fun an- antagonist. I wish these episodes moved a little faster. Yeah, that's what my thinking was. I'd watched two episodes and learned that yeah, Garo's got a problem, and uh, Saitama's gonna go fighting in a uh, in a. Uh... Of course, now when he did run into Garo in front of the thing, and he interrupted his shopping and putting you on the ground with one chop. That was uh, interesting too. Well, the main yeah, the main problem with uh, the way these episodes are structured is that uh, is that they keep they basically move around they between the various different characters without without advancing each character's without advancing each character's storyline by too much. So it's like yeah. so it's like so what you're doing is you're basically advancing the storylines of a whole bunch of different characters who are separated. But you're advancing them incrementally, rather than like using each episode to focus on a particular character. And, yeah, and what's weird is like if I remember from the first season, like we didn't we didn't really spend a whole lot of time with the side characters. Like largely the development we got for this others like side characters was like through the perspective of Saitama himself. Um, like there, there were some uh, exceptions, uh, largely for Genos and um, Speed of Sound Sonic. Though I mean, Genos spends a lot of time around Saitama anyway. Uh, but yeah, like this, this arc so far, at oh. least in episodes uh, three and four, season two, spent a lot of time outside of Saitama's perspective and spent a bunch of it with like other minor characters who are like i mean they're fun and all but also it kind of feels like they don't matter a whole lot no not well, the way not the way Gara walks well, through them like well, paper. that's that's part that's that's pretty much built into like the whole thing of one punch man is that basically when it comes to fighting when it comes to fighting bad guys nobody except saitama really matters <laughs> because because it always comes down to, because it always it always comes down to that, you know, like you know, like against the biggest threats, Saitama is the only one who can do anything. Yeah, I mean, even even not just from like a fight perspective, but like, what do I really get out of seeing, uh, Steel Bat or whatever his name is? like fight against a tentacle monster uh as opposed to like seeing saitama go about his day and actually progressing the martial arts tournament he's going into uh, like if if 
if I'm not going to follow Saitama or Genos, why am I, like, at least far, follow Garo? Which, like, when the, when the, ep- when these episodes follow Garo as the sort of alternative perspective character, like, it was at least interesting because Garo has a much different perspective, uh, and the things he does are just a lot more interesting uh, than the side heroes. Well, like, yeah, that's the thing is the manga was like this too. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah, the, I'm not sort is, of, I'm not placing the blame on yeah. this on JC staff. Like they're very diligently adapting what was uh, in the manga, but yeah, it really shows how. I mean, really, what it does is make me appreciate Mob Psycho so a lot, a lot more because man, compared to some of the storytelling in in One Punch Man, Mob Psycho is just so extremely well constructed uh yes mob psycho overall is the better overall is the better series yeah one pan one punch one one punch man one punch man uh is is a lot flashier and i and i do love it for that and it is quite funny but also it's definitely a lot messier uh, in terms of how it's built, um, but yeah, I, I did, I, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't like parts of these episodes. Um, like both of them definitely brought some stuff I liked to the table. I like Saitama visiting the heroes that got injured and giving all of them bananas. <laughs> well, also, which is a really good visual gag. <laughs> Also, well, also eating eating the bananas while he's visiting them. <laughs> yeah, um, I like the return of Moomin Rider. Yeah, uh, I, I, I will always stand for Moomin Rider. Um, and again, like Garo is a really fun villain, uh, a lot more than uh, sort of Stained was, who's kind of My Hero Academy's equivalent of Garo. Um. I mean, largely because, like, I, I just like the idea that Garo became a villain because he always empathized with the monsters and he wanted to become a monster that wouldn't lose. Yeah, it's, he wanted to see the bad guys win. Mm. Always. Like, I like, it's funny because, like, as, as a fan of Tokusatsu, I... I like, there is definitely an argument to be made there that a lot of times the villains are more fun. Like, if you look at Godzilla movies, if you look at, you know, uh, various Sentai stuff, like, a lot of times those villains are more interesting. So, it's... Garo obviously takes it to a uh, ludicrous extreme, but you can kind of see a kernel of where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, uh but yeah, yeah, there there will be there will be more to look forward to with Garo, depending on uh, depending on where this season uh, leaves off. Yeah, uh, I also really like, and this gag always works for me of just Saitama totally no selling a villain's uh, a villain's attack. And like when he just meets Garo on the street, Saitama doesn't even realize it's Garo. <laughs> no, he just, just like he's just a talk- random dude. He's, uh, he's interrupting his shopping. Yeah, for a wig. 
which uh, Janos's action was called the doctor and say, Doc, 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 we need to we need to weave him some hair in. He's going nuts. I love I love Gina so much. Yep. He is so precious. Alright. Uh, I, I I'm I'm going to give these um I was going to originally give them threes because they were boring, because they didn't hardly do anything, but there was enough in them that I could almost give them fours. I'm actually still leaning toward threes. Like, they were totally fine. I, I enjoyed them well enough, but, like, I'd just combine them, just combine them into one episode. Like, we're not well, going to really be missing anything important. And, I mean, you know, I'm sorry. I mean, we, we got to see, you know, the terrible tornado sister, but I was kind of hoping by now that a terrible tornado would have showed up. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm going to give these episodes fours. All right. Um, let's talk about Fairy Gone, episodes three through four. Uh, the weird thing about Fairy Gone is that when I'm watching it, I'm really enjoying it. And then when I try to remember what happened in Fairy Gone, I get bits and pieces. I'm like, okay, I can't remember how to link these up in a coherent fashion. <laughs> it's It's got a weird effect on me because I do like the show a lot, but also I could not tell you a coherent summary of the plot. <laughs> We're still chasing the artificial fairies, and Wolf is, and it's longer than Wolf, but I'm going to call him Wolf. Uh, we found out that uh, he went home, found his family dead. The old man told him that, and that's when he decided that, uh, you know, uh, he was going to wipe out anybody and anything that he thought was responsible for his wife and daughter's death. That's why he is the way he is, and... Uh, yeah, this is lining up a whole bunch of interesting conflicts. But the biggest thing is, is we're still looking for the tome. And that the the black tome is, uh, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out the whole black tome thing. Did you get that figured out yet, Ben? Well, okay. Well, there was, well, essentially, like, the tomes are, are colored basically in, in by essentially who who uh who collected who collected the pages uh so like there there's like a red tome and a blue tome and all that and uh and the thing about that is yeah the black tome is more mysterious and potentially more powerful isn't that always the way with black magical artifacts yeah yeah they're 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 definitely leaning into that trope um well, and see, I think the secret of the Black Tome is what Maria and Veronica already are, is the ability to absorb a fairy without having a fairy implanted, or pieces of a fairy implanted inside of them. Yeah. Oh, so basically what, um, what's-her-name did, like the, the female lead? Uh, Marlon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, where she just, like, basically took a fairy inside her, and that's how she got her fairy. Right. right. It just kind of happened. And her fairy seems to have some uh, interesting... In fact, there's some fairies with some interesting powers in this. Yeah, like the one we meet in episode three that belongs to Sweetie. Mm -hmm. um, again, continuing the trend of solid names for characters in this show. Yes, bittersweet. Yes, she is. Yeah, so Sweetie is the, the femme fatale archetype 
of this show. Uh, and she has a fairy that can, uh, that basically any damage you deal to her is dealt back to you, if yep. I interpreted it correctly. Right. And then, then, she, then she's got her two buddies, Patricia and Jonathan, the, uh, the, uh, thief and the assassin. It's a very stand power kind of ability. Oh yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's how I have always conceptualized that, is like, yes, the gimmick with this show is fairy stands, and it's yeah, a it's great just, gimmick. Yeah, it's just more obvious with Sweeties, because like, until now, the, the fairies have been pretty straightforward, they're just like, they were just kind of like big monsters that punched each other. Uh, whereas, like, Sweetie's fairy actually has a, a special ability. Um, which, I don't know, maybe the other fairies do, and we just haven't seen seen them yet. Uh, well, Marley's like, well, Mar- fairy seems to have some kind of fire thing going. Oh, yeah, that's true. We did sort of, we do, we do get hints of that. Whereas, um, is it Axel... Or no, that's it's free. It's it's free who has the um the werewolf one, right? Yeah, that yeah, that, yeah. that, that uh, has like a that has like a roar attack. It it says yeah. that uh, Maria's fairy Ashclad has the power to generate extremely high heat from its hands, and anything that it touches is reduced to ash. Yeah, which is interesting because like from the aesthetic, you'd think it would be more plant based. Because it almost looks like a dryad, uh, so it's kind of interesting that they gave it gave it like combustion powers, basically. Uh, but yeah, no, I I like the chase scene in this episode, um, and I did like the fight scene between um, uh, Marlia Marlia and Free and Sweetie. Uh, and episode four, where Veronica suddenly comes leaping in, is just <laughs> they they spent a lot of time animating Veronica destroying a bunch of stained glass as she like enters in the most dramatic fashion possible. Of course, <laughs> I PA, PA works was like okay, guys. We gotta get this shattered glass effect perfect. Yeah, there's no, no spare budget, and everybody works at least five hours of overtime. <laughs> should, should, should we save that for the fight scene? No, glass. Glass is what's important. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also, there were some flashbacks, I think, in one of these episodes, too, but I can't for the life of me remember what they were about. It was an, episode, were, it was uh, an episode four. It was about... Yeah, uh, I think it was Marlia and Veronica's yeah. backstory. I well, think. yeah, it's because, like, one of, uh, yeah, one of uh, Marlia's big complexes is that she sort of considers herself kind of cursed. Uh, she considers herself a disaster because, like, she basically, you know, bad things seem to happen to the people around her. Oh, yeah. I, I where okay you can see where that came from because uh, of you know how her her hometown got devastated, um, but yeah, but so like that's her big that's like sort of like the psychological her you know psychological hang up that she's got. 
and so she was going on about that and also, you know, you're reflecting on her relationship with Veronica. Well, see, okay, uh, Veronica, yeah. wants, Veronica wants General Dorn, the one who burned her village to the ground. She will do anything to do that. That's fair, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the problem uh, is, is, is Veronica keeps leaving a trail of bodies everywhere she goes. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, at least largely they're the bodies you want in the ground. <laughs> like... Uh, well, for example, the, the, I'm I'm sure I'm sure we're about to see a, a couple more bodies that consist of the assassins that Sweetie got to go after her, um, well, including well, in, including a knife pervert. Yeah. Oh yeah, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. Um, now the, that dude. The, only, the only other the only other pairing that I've seen that I'm still trying to figure out is Damian and Veronica are working together too. And I think they're working together to get the black tome. I mean, I, I would assume so. The black tome does seem to be the, the primary MacGuffin right yeah. now. Um, but yeah, I, Jonathan is, um, I'm not sure if Aaron watched these episodes of Fairy Gone, but if he did, he would probably like Jonathan because Jonathan does have a lot of, d- does love knives and loves making anime crazy faces as well <laughs> while wielding knives. Yes, he does. Um, yeah, the, the, uh, that's like the the, the like uh, like sort of the it seems. Like the he, he plays sort of like a JoJo villain in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, yeah, kinda. You know, which which is like, yeah, when you add that to like the, the fact that okay, all the fairy the fairy things are the fairies are stands, then yeah, the the JoJo parallels just keep on coming, and this is fine because JoJo is awesome. Yeah, like what if there was a JoJo that loved knives? That is Jonathan. <laughs> And Marlia is suitably freaked out by him the moment he appears and immediately goes after her. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I'm still I'm still trying to figure out where bittersweet and everything else. Yeah, this this, this whole crowd. This, we're, we're getting an interesting uh, crowd put together here. Especially, yeah, so the, I, especially the the uh, overbearingly looking Chihuahua, Chima. How did I forget there was a Chihuahua in this show? Yeah, well, it looks like a Chihuahua. I feel like I I feel like I'm like I feel like I I get neuralized every time I finish an episode of Fairy Gone because like y'all will mention just these details. I'm like, wait, what? When? That. Huh? Oh, that thing! Yeah, That's not looks, a chihuahua, Larry. It looks like a chihuahua. <laughs> that, I mean, I it. I mean, I guess technically it has the basic structure of a chihuahua. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now I understand what you're talking about. I remembered that thing. <laughs> I yeah, like, I mean, you know, I I don't feel like I'm going insane anymore. <laughs> Well, I thought I would help you, you know. I mean, it's named that. Uh, I mean, I would name a Chihuahua that. Oh, yeah, it's named Chima. Yeah, so for the listeners, what Larry posted was essentially like, if if you play FF14, 
and are a summoner like they have the carbuncles like that's basically what this thing looks like it's just a weird fairy dog yeah well it's which like i guess like has here. sort of the ears of a chihuahua yeah kind of the body of a chihuahua and the tail of a chihuahua and i don't know if it has the attitude of one but I well i mean it has the body of most small dogs well, not just a chihuahua but yeah no it did i i will admit it does have the ears um, but it can't be a Chihuahua because at no point has it said Yokiero Taco Bell, <laughs> and we all know that is the defining characteristic of Chihuahuas. That's what the AKC Kennel Club is looking for. If you, if you take your Chihuahua into the Westminster uh, Dog Championship, whatever the hell what? that thing is called, well, no they will expect you... your Chihuahua to talk about wanting Baja Blast. No, no, no. See, now, how that works is you take your miniature chihuahua to that registry show, and it stands under a German Shepherd and thinks it's in the shade. <laughs> Alright, moving uh, right along. <laughs> yeah, anyway, enough about weird fantasy chihuahuas. Um, yeah, I like I like this sort of, in the, in the middle of episode four, like, the the assassins don't even get subtle really like they just sit next to marlia and free and then free notices like huh they're kind of suspicious and then they get up and say something like very ominous and it just doesn't matter because like they get screwed over anyway um and have to fight them in a chapel. But yeah, I, I just love that, like, the assassins aren't... don't really care about being subtle at all. Because why would you? <laughs> Not when you can summon fairies, why would you? There you go. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm still enjoying Fairy Gone a lot. It's also hard for me to remember the structure of it sometimes. Because okay. it is a bit all over the place occasionally. Uh, so I'll give these episodes fours. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll give them fours as well. It's basically fairy soldiers trying to figure out a very chaotic world. And, and they think that they're the ones who are metering out justice. The fairy soldiers of justice. Yep. I need to uh, let's talk about Carol and Tuesday. Episodes three through four. <laughs> okay, Gus is uh, yeah. I don't yeah, know. Gus is Gus is Gus's wife. Are yeah. Are, there, there are so many good characters introduced in episodes three through four. Um, Gus certainly, uh, he does. He didn't make the best first impression in that second episode. But he's really good in episodes three through four. He's very charming. Um, and thankfully, not at all a creep. Yeah. And uh, we got introduced to the uh, to the super DJ, Ertagon, whatever. Ertagon. Yeah, the guy, yeah. With the, the guy with the fried uh, Ferrari. Yeah. Yeah, he is, he is a... 
the show is not subtle even before he actually starts speaking to Carol and Tuesday. The show is not subtle about Ertagon being a douchebag. Um, for one thing, like his promo, just like his promo material, just screams asshole. Like his uh, his catchphrase is what? Like the only one who can surpass me is me. Yeah. Or something like that. Yep. And you, uh, and you remember Gus's warnings to the girls when the security guards separated them? He's like, you know, whatever you do, don't massage his leg. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. second, like, he has a huge, ludicrous mansion, uh, so eat the rich. Third, uh, the first time Carol and Tuesday see him, he's out, like, at a pool... And there's no one else around the pool except for, like, a bunch of beautiful women. So you're like, beautiful, okay, women. I know what this guy's deal is. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. yeah. No, he's he's an asshole, and I'm glad his Ferrari is burnt. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, he's voiced by Mama Rumiano <laughs> as well. So... And then, and then, you know, we found out a little more about Tao using uh, Angela to create the perfect AI. And some of the things that Tao's putting Angela through should be criminal. Yeah, yeah so th- that's the thing, like, what, what that, like, um, what that dude, like, who basically just reminds me of every venture capitalist tech bro um yep like he what he's doing like is clearly not okay but also angela herself is not a great person so like her mother so like so like if her life is made slightly miserable for a while for a half an hour or so it's like yeah maybe it's okay Yes, but that that large woman with the purple lips and fingers that's in the car next to her is her mother and her manager. And yeah. you know, that you have to remember that's why Angela the way she is because mom is living her aborted life through her daughter. Yeah, that is what complicates it a bit because like the more we see of Angela and her mother, the more it starts it starts to muddle angela's character because like initially in those first couple episodes angela just seems like a entitled entitled douchebag Mm. um but yeah then you start seeing what her mother is like and you go oh okay i can sort of see how angela ended up like this and she's definitely in an abusive like a relationship with her parent and then um, on the on the other end of the spectrum, you have Tuesday's mother, the governor who wants to be president or something like that, who looks at her son and said, look, go find your sister, but no negative PR, not before the election. I can't afford it. Don't call the cops. Do it yourself. Hire whoever you want. Just, you know, get your sister back. Don't make any waves. It's like, yeah. And, and, and the brother's sitting there going, I really, I really hope that the brother... I got a feeling he's going to try to find her. Of course, then again, he's going to run into Gus. That'll be interesting. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I can see where that dynamic because you know they spent all the money on the AI movie robot, and 
I'm afraid somewhere along the line here, Tuesday's going to have to whip out that little credit card of hers and start buying stuff, and that's when the whole world's going to know where she is if they don't see it on the music video first. I have such mixed feelings about that whole robot thing. I mean, yeah, I do too. That was it's that was it, that was funny, but in terms of science fictional extrapolation, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's it's really goofy. Like even for even for this show that is like supposed to be humorous and lighthearted most of the time, like well, it, I mean, they they straight up like it's clearly supposed to be modeled off of the robot in um space dandy and they even just straight up make a direct reference to space dandy uh i don't i don't think it really entirely works especially not for how much screen time they give it like it's just the the tonal shift is just a little too jarring well and the other thing that kind of got me is it's it's a leeching ai that's uh, there's probably a better word but all it does is come and consume, you know, buy me beer, and it's like, you know, it's like that 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 uh, relative, you know, that uh, goes, oh, you got any bulls in the house? Good, I'm staying. Yeah, because it's like they they call it a scammer AI, and then you're like, okay, did someone deliberately create this, or like did it just develop that way? And also, if if it just developed that way, that says some way bigger things about the AI in this series than I had initially considered. Yeah, that's my um, thought in, in writing AI. Yeah, it's like, okay, now wait a minute. How did you get an AI to this amount of corruptness? Also, you... Also, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm just, I'm gonna let you go, but I, I'm skimming through these episodes and I just want to mention that the pizza place they go to is called Red Pizza Biologic Tomato. Uh-huh. Which is the most hipster name for a pizza joint I've ever seen. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Ben. Like, okay, so so things about the uh, things about like uh, episode four that don't add up from a science fictional perspective here is that you'd think that all right, they're trying to make a music video. You'd think. They could come up with they could they could get better tools than a uh, you know than that stupid AI thing. Yeah, I mean, like shit. You could you could create a music video on on iPhone today and use free software or at least like pretty cheap software to make visual effects. Exactly. Like that's. Uh-huh. I mean, shit. OK Go did that for like their first music video that hit big. Like they just film themselves in one take like on a basic camera doing choreography on four treadmills like you don't need that thing in like in the far-flung future you're who knows what smartphones can do <laughs> like yeah it's it's absurd to me and like i know that gus is a little bit stuck in the past based on his, his references but you can't convince me that they'd be like, oh, we definitely got to hire this robot to make a music video. Well, it was more Roddy's idea. You know, he goes, then you can afford it. I mean, even even Roddy, like, honestly, especially Roddy, because, like, Roddy's a guy who's who, like, clearly seems to be plugged into, like, tech, like, modern technology. I don't know. It, it, it does strain disbelief that they would even bother with uh, a 
sketchy yeah. robot just to like direct the music video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's that. So that aspect of, I mean, yeah. Although you know the antics of the the antics of the AI were fun to watch, but uh, it just from it just didn't make any sense in terms yeah, of like, in it, terms it of was the aggravating. Yeah, out of context, yeah, the robot's fun. Like, in the context of the show, though, again, it felt like it was meant to be in a totally different genre. Like, mm-hmm. it just didn't fit for what Carol and Tuesday, like, is doing, um, which is my main issue with it. Like, th- everything else in the episode surrounding that portion was a lot of fun. I, I really liked the conversations between um gus and his ex-wife whose name i'm not remembering right now Um, which is a shame maria maria because she's super good um i love that uh maria is like just straight up explicitly bisexual um and like they well something gus didn't know until she walked out the door for the last time yeah, I I love that Gus doesn't make a big deal out of it either. Like just just spits his beer halfway across the bar. Yeah, um, I love that when Maria meets Carol and and Tuesday, she's like, "Hey, are you are, are do you two have like a boyfriend or girlfriend yet? Because I can hook you up." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, come on, Maria. They're clearly gonna date each other. Have like have some trope awareness here, um, but yeah, no, I I like everything about episode four, other than the robot. Like if they had just made this episode about um, Carol on Tuesday and Maria and Gus and Roddy trying to make an amateur music video and just kind of failing just because they're not good at making music videos. That would be way better than the weird ass gimmick they ended up going with. Yeah, well, I think the thing I like the most is when the girls ran out of uh, Ertagon's place, stood up on the hill, and yelled at him, "You're going to regret this. We're going to show you." It's like, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, uh, Carol. Uh, wait, hold on. Uh, yeah, like I think it was. Uh, no, it's it's Tuesday, I think, is, is yep. the rich girl, right? Yeah, Tuesday yeah, is the rich yeah. girl, and uh, yeah, Carol's the, Carol's the working class girl. Yeah, so Tuesday, when Tuesday, like, just straight up burns the uh, pages they were, they were going to use for their performance, and just it causes the sprinkler system to go off, was yep. real good. Well, he said, yeah, he says, well, why don't you just take that song and burn it? She's like, all right, fine, jerk. Boof. Oh, gee, you got wet. Too bad. Goodbye. <clears throat> yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, I will say the the one thing the, the one thing that did strike me as a little bit goofy, but also this this show is occasionally firmly in um sort of musical as in like the genre musical territory um is the scene where they're at the laundromat um and they just start creating a song there on the spot and like there's just this black guy in between them 
like they're just like doing this song while there's just a random a random stranger like in between them and like thankfully for them he at first is like okay what the hell is going on but then is kind of down for it and starts like participating uh if that was me i would be feel horribly awkward (laughs) well you know there was a i don't know if it's still available it's got probably be online somewhere but they're in the late 60s there was a beatles thing where they were talking to and john and and paul were sitting there going oh yeah we were sitting in the restaurant the other night and we just and people are looking around going oh we know who you are and he says, oh, yeah, he says, when, when you get the, the feeling to do music, he says, you do music. He says, uh, he says, there's stuff that was written in the shower and other places. He oh, says, I mean, yeah, yeah, but, yeah you know, well, I mean, I, when when people already know you're the Beatles, you can do stuff like that without well, getting kicked out of the restaurant. Well, yeah, but, you know, the thing is, is like he like John said, he said there was times that people didn't know who we were, you know, and he says, uh, he says, you know, when the music, he says. You, you ought to have a musical inspiration while trying to drive down the road. So, yeah, I mean, I can, I can understand that. I mean, I, I got a couple of friends that were into that music thing, and, yeah, there, there was some r- weird times. It's like, what are you doing? I said, I got a tune in my head. Let me get it on paper. Okay. Yeah, like, basically my, my, enti- my, my whole point, though, is that, like, shout-outs to that random black guy in the first part of first half of episode three, where like when two two girls on either side of him just start like randomly tapping on their chairs and singing like just sort of goes with it and then uh, you know the, the <laughs> after looking around for a moment to try and figure out what is currently happening in his life well and the that led him is, to this moment the other thing is the tapping on the washer and dryer to you know to, to add the yeah. yeah, and then you get yeah. like the outside shot of the lauder mat where there's some bystanders looking looking in going like what the what <laughs> what yeah. is going on in there? I think that's great. I, I mean, like I said, this is why this is becoming quite likable for me. It's like, yeah, I could see, yeah, see I could... that's the goofiness that works with this show, not space dandy robot. Well, and it's you know, it's like in Japan, there's the, the street corner groups, and it kind of goes back to the, uh, oh, I can't think of, it's the uh, gorilla, the gorilla band groups out of the one, one anime, you know, they just, oh, hey, oh, there's a place, let's set up, play music, whoop. Oh, oh you, you mean yeah, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. you mean like what um, was shown in uh, uh, Night of Short Walk On Girl? Yeah. You know, it's like, just, you know, get together and go, and well, there was that, uh, was that? Matt Cross that they did the gorilla. No, there was another where they did the gorilla. Well, I mean, Matt Cross Frontier had. Um... So they did the gorilla plays. Well, see, this one did gorilla plays and gorilla musicals, and I can't remember the okay. name of it. But we. Well, I mean, anyway. Matt Cross Frontier had like Ronka doing the like advertising. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Aaron AKB. just replied AKB0048, which I totally forgot about, but now I'm suddenly remembering that they actually made a anime about a future version of AKB48 where they were, like, yeah, space it, it warriors. It was a thing. Oh, God, I don't know about that show, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 
Okay, guys. Er, again, though Aaron's I will in, admit, Aaron's at least at least that's what so we're not talking to thin air. I will I will give AKB 48 this though. That was an era where idol anime was friggin' weird. <laughs> great. So I mean, it had that going for it. So yeah, so I gave Carol and Tuesday a pair of fives if we hadn't already gotten that far. I'm gonna give them. Um, I'm gonna give them fours. I'm gonna give three a five, and I'm gonna give four a four. Like the robot just hurts for episode four. No, too I much. just I just looked over the robot. It was just like. Uh, all right. Let's talk about fruits basket episodes three through four. Um. I, I believe uh, Boar shows up in episode four. Yep. So I'm trying to remember yep. what episode three is. Three was the uh, trying to figure out the cat and trying to figure out the mouse, where where she was spending time between the two of them trying to figure. Oh them out. right, yeah, yeah. It's sort of like episode one we meet mouse, episode two we meet cat, episode three like um, Toru basically sort of tries to figure out what each one's deal is um yeah i I did end up liking that episode i also like that i mean one of the things i again one of the things that i like about yuki a lot um is that the way that fruits basket handles his character is like yeah he's he's detached um but also, like, he is detached because he's got a lot of really pent-up emotions that he doesn't feel like he has the right to subject other people to. Um, in addition, just the way he's treated by some of his female classmates is just really, just really manipulatively, really shitty. Like where they will go up to him confess and he'll say no which is his right and they will try to guilt trip him into not wanting they will try to guilt trip him because he he didn't want to go out with them uh and it just paints like a really (laughs) it paints a really dire picture of yuki's situation where he's got all these pressures on him that he doesn't feel like he can talk about. Well, and you know, he every time he turns around at school, he seems to have some brash young lady walking up to him, going, "I want to go out with you. Why won't you go out with people?" And he's like, Yeah, and like, and then yeah, and when they get rejected, they're like the girl we see in this one says something along the lines of, uh, like, basically implies that oh, just like, is any girl good enough for you? Yeah, she um, she, she labels him an insensitive so and so, and and goes storming off. Yeah, like the 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 picture that Fruits Basket paints of. Girls who are not Toru or Toru's friends are not great, let's say. Well, but then that's kind of true for the guys who aren't Yuki and Kyo, too. So I guess it's fairly even-handed in well, that regard. Sh- well, Shigure is pretty decent. True. So, you know, it's it's just... 
it, I don't know. It, it's I can understand. Yeah, you know, I mean, if he didn't have the curse of where he couldn't be hugged, he would probably have half the school as a harem. I. I don't know. I don't think that's really Yuki's personality. Like, even if he could interact with girls, like, I mean, maybe he would have a girlfriend. But even then, he's he's the type of person who doesn't want to disappoint people. So he, even if he could, like, sort of interact intimately with girls like, like a normal person, he still might not have a girlfriend just because he'd be worried about what that would do to the girls who were not his girlfriend like he'd be worried about like would would this make my situation worse in terms of the harassment i face from these like obsessive fangirls so i don't think it's really that cut and dry for yuki which again is why i really like his character a lot (laughs) okay um yeah and and similarly i think hyo gets a lot of help with episode three um even though he is still kind of very pretty mean to toru yeah and then kagura shows up yeah i when Kagura showed up, I was like, oh, right, I vaguely remember her from the first time I watched this show. I hated her. <laughs> and I still hate her now. Uh, I don't know, maybe hate is a strong word, but she's pretty... She's obnoxious. She makes... She, is... she, makes... Well, she's basically she, def- a... she definitely makes the worst impression out of the one out of the characters we've seen so far. She has a unique way of showing her love. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's like, blatantly emotionally and physically abusive to Kyo. Like, Even though she loves him to death. Oh, wait a minute, that's maybe where she's headed with this. Yeah, never, never really apologizes for it. Um, and it's just, yeah, she's just kind of an, a bad person. Like she's even annoying. after Toru and her quote unquote make up, make up, like she doesn't, she doesn't really change the cool. She doesn't really change at all. It's just that now she doesn't feel like she has to immediately murder Toru. Yeah, Toru's not that big of a threat. She's still a threat, but she's not that big of a threat yet. I yeah. hear a, episode. Did I, did I hear a yet in the background? Yeah. Episode 4 was tough to get through and like yeah, it, it was it was rough. Um and I felt really bad for Kyo too. Oh yeah. I felt I felt bad for Shigure cuz the house getting beat to death. <laughs> that's his house that they're wrecking. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But also like aren't they hella rich? Well, yeah, but still, they they still have to live in a crappy. They still have to live in a wrecked house, but you know, while waiting for the people to come and fix the thing, that's still really annoying. Um, but yeah, yeah, and then like, 
Kagura just like wastes all their food. Um, like she's she's clearly meant to be like the endearing sort of obnoxious, like uh, specifically like her like her beating up Kyo, and this is one of the this is one of the areas where Fruits Basket I think doesn't age very well. Yeah, um, yeah. The, like her, her beating up Kyo like a lot of harem anime from back in the day, where someone getting punched by a girl was considered like adorable or comedic. Like this, this just feels like really bad, and it makes Kagura look like a really horrible person. So like this is this is definitely an area where fruits basket is showing its age. I think that doesn't really translate very well. Yep. In the new, slightly more woke era, if I may be a bit tongue in cheek. <laughs> okay. Well. Believe it or not, there are real people who are that abusive, but we won't go through there. That point. Oh yeah, yeah no, and and they're treated with the at least these days they're treated with typically treated with the proper amount of disdain, though there are unfortunately exceptions, and some of them are uh, in the higher court system. Uh, yeah, and you know, um, I, I I don't know, I just you know the idea of. St- her saying they're going, I love you, I want to marry you, blah, 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 blah. We can be together because we can we can touch each other and we don't turn into animals. And then every time her temper gets out of hand, uh, yeah, she becomes a wild boar. Yeah, I mean, like, even when it's not a temper tantrum, like, she's super controlling and emotionally manipulative. Like, even in her quote-unquote, like good form um it's just she's less overtly obvious about her violence in in, like when she's in the demure form she's more like traditionally cute uh but she's still the same bad person um i'm yeah so like the the one upside is that i don't recall that she gets a whole lot of screen time so yeah, at least that's uh, that's what I recall from the manga is that yeah she's a pretty minor character in the scheme of things. So, on the whole house destruction and everything else, I give both episodes fours because I'm gonna give three a five. Actually, I really enjoyed it. I'm gonna give episode four a two. I just. It's just really not. It was not fun for me to watch that. I'm. Again. I'm gonna give three. I'm gonna give three a four and a four a three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on sure. the extremes of both ends today, baby. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I guess. I guess after watching all the, I mean, it, when you think about abusive relationships, it's uh, you know Goku and Chi Chi. Um, oh yeah, Dragon. Who man? Dra- how Dragon Ball treats women is a—that's uh, a whole nother thing. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, and I, I kind of watched that, and I said, you know, uh, yeah, I've seen this before, and I, it, 
I mean, even to a point where some of the stuff that I watched, you know, a while back, like Tenchi, you know, when, when princesses would take off or, yeah. It's, uh, so, of course, yeah, so, or like know, Ray- famously, could, or like yeah. famously Love Hina, where uh, oh, I think it was Naru would punch main bland character, character guys, uh, face into the stratosphere yeah like just for a, a minor accident like yep. that happened freaking all the time so in love you know so you know i mean they updated it but personally i think they could have i don't know um and like that'll and like you'll that those sort of scenes continue on to this day. Like there's still modern anime that oh, yeah. in that trope, though typically to less frequency. Like usually, these days, usually when you see that trope used, it's with that like very cliche meet cute where the male character will see the female character naked for the first time, typically in the first or second episode. Then they'll get a punch in the face, and then they'll never do it again. The good one the good one seems to be walking in on the shower. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Asterisk it does happen a lot uh, in modern equivalents, doesn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah there was Asterisk Ward did this like in the stupidest way. It was like yeah, okay, he walks like uh okay, main character walks in on the girl walks in on the girl and uh she uh when you know, and when she's in her underwear, and she blasts him with fire while she's in her room, actually destroying <laughs> her own room. Uh, that's actually one of the one of the things I liked about early Darling in the Franks. One of the few good things I will say about that show, what little I watched of it, is that like when during the obligatory meet cute in that show, like uh. Oni just, like, the equivalent of that scene is her just leaping out of the water naked like a friggin' dolphin. <laughs> and, and, and and what's his name? The, the male lead being e- extremely flabbergasted and confused by everything happening in front of him. And then no, got... fi- there's no physical violence. It's just, like, Oni being weird. And the male lead not understanding how to react to what's going on in front of him. And, and then you've almost got it on the other end is would be the uh, hot tub or the hot spring scene from Outlaw Star, where you know everybody's there naked. and He's like, "Oh, you're all naked. That's cool." Uh, yeah, Chivalry of a Failed Knight was semi sensible when uh, yeah. about that when it's like she. Uh, like, okay, he walks in on her. He walks in on her and she just, like, uh, she just, uh, she, uh, goes and, uh, reports him to the principal. Yep. Yeah, which is, you know, what you probably should do instead of punching someone in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Walking them out to orbit. <laughs> yeah. Uh,. Anyway, that sort of went off track, but that's okay. We have fun here. Hey, well, that's why this is called Baka Cast. Yeah, we don't. We don't. Uh, well, I mean, I pretend I'm smart, but. Duh. Huh? 
was about to say we don't pretend we're we're smart, but I but I I occasionally do pretend to be. Uh, isn't necessarily accurate, but I do my best. All right, you know what? You got the hole dug pretty deep. You keep it up here. It's gonna yeah. Fill I'm rambling now. Yeah, you're, so it's gonna fall in. And I'm gonna fill you right up to the neck, and then we can get out the the red ants yeah. and the scorpion. Yeah. No. Yeah. What's that song, Ramblin' Man? Yeah. I was born a ramblin' man. Anyway, yeah. I watched more Sarah's on my. I. Uh, yeah. That. I actually kind of. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it, but I like I I think I actually like this show more than Yuri Bear Storm and Penguin Drum. Like it's way less obtuse than Penguin Drum and it's also less kind of uncomfortably rapey than Yuri Bear Storm was cuz like one of my major issues with Yuri Bear Storm is that I appreciate what it was going for, but like those first two or three episodes, like the ostensibly protagonist bears, uh, were were pretty were pretty rapey towards the main character. Uh, yeah, which wasn't which wasn't great. Kind of muddled the message a bit. Yeah, well, um, yeah, oh yeah. Episode three had uh, had uh, had Enta. Uh, kissing, uh, kissing Kazuki, but but the show, but the show made clear that no, that's not cool. Yeah, it's it's treated with the appropriate amount of disdain, and I think crucially, the what um, uh, it's Kyoka, was it? Is the it, is Enta's crush? Uh, Kazuki. Kazuki, not Kyoka. Gosh, Kazuki. Like, I think crucially what Kazuki is is bothered by is not that he was kissed by a boy, but rather that he was kissed without his consent. Like, that is, like, that is the issue. So, like, it very clearly delineates that, like, this is not a case of just, like, homophobia or, or gay panic. It is a case of someone's consent was violated and it's not okay. Uh, so, yeah, I, I appreciate, it feels like Ikuhara has learned from his previous attempts to do this style of show, and has, and has kind of refined his own formula, uh, into something that's, like, really laser-focused. Yeah. Um... And yeah, I'm enjoying it a lot more than I initially thought I would from those first couple episodes. Well, well, the one thing that gets me is, uh, yeah, is uh, Ikahara has uh, basically gone in, uh, gone and reused his old, done his, uh, sort of done the thing, basically the thing he did uh, in Utena all the time, which was lots and lots of reused footage. And the thing about the thing is, is that worked in Utena because in Utena, like okay, reusing footage reinforced the idea that this was a ritual, but this not so much. This just feels it. It just gets tedious after a while oh, when you're seeing are... when you're seeing like the same thing in uh, you're seeing when you're seeing the same thing in every episode. 
did you uh... yeah i can i can sort of see that i'm i'm still enjoying it i don't really have an issue with the the stuff being reused though i can't really articulate why it doesn't bother me yet um i feel like when i get some more episodes in i'll I think then I'll be able to like really formulate a, a proper like defense of it, well, uh, but I don't know. The... It just it just okay. feels. It, all I can really say now is that in my gut it feels right. Uh, um, pen- I, yeah. and I realize that's a really crummy defense, but well, Penguin Drum did the Penguin Drum did the same thing with reused footage. Uh, yeah, the, the, the difference with Penguin Drum and with uh, and with Rev, with uh, Utena was the music was better. You know, See, I kind of, I kind of like the music. Like, it's definitely simpler and more basic, but I don't know. I still find it charming. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I like this. Uh, like, Sara's on my as much as I do, because <laughs> I initially thought I was gonna hate it. <laughs> oh, this isn't bad. The music isn't bad, but it's just that the music that they had with all like the re with the like the. With the reused bits in Utena and Penguin was just so much cooler. Did you see the article I posted about the voice actors trying to figure out what Igahara was thinking when he when he created this masterpiece? Oh, <laughs> yeah, because because uh, it's not like they get a full look at like what the show is would they so they're kind of experiencing along experiencing it alongside us basically can, can you can you imagine walking in there and seeing the video looking at the script and going to what so you're saying my character is going to leap inside a giant hologram monster's anus to pull out a pearl that says butt on it yeah. And then me and two other characters, the characters we're voicing are going to get naked and reveal our deepest, darkest secrets to each other. Uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> it is, you know, when you kind of lay it all out like that, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little weird, I uh, guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, here's the thing. I wonder when they hired these people, I mean, it, it had to probably be a committee that got hold of agencies. So the committee probably told the agencies what they wanted out of the voice actors. but And they probably read for the parts, but when they walked into the studio that first time and saw all the pieces laying on the table, it had to be like, uh, am I awake? Is this a dream? You know, one thing I also just really like about Sarah's on my is the the characters that get like their desire extracted and turned into those weird desire monsters like in in every single case they are characters with like really goofy ambitions that are also really banal like the like with the soba episode this guy is just really in love with this woman and he uses like he steals water from the bathtub she bathes in to use for his soba water which is like really 
weird and goofy, but also, like, it, it feels like such a, like, yeah, this is, this is something I could see of just <coughs> really weird person doing in real life. Well, well another thing. <laughs> like, it's, it's. As fantastical as a lot of the parts of the show is, like, that's just such a very, a very banal thing to make, like, as the, as the thing that the quote-unquote antagonist of the episode does. Well, another thing to like about Stars on Mine, the opening and ending themes. Oh, yeah. Well, I actually, I actually, I remember the band that did the opening theme for Stars on Mine. They, you've heard them before. Uh, because, uh, they did the opening theme to, uh, The Perfect Insider, and the, uh, second season of Iron-Blooded Orphans. Oh, dang, really? I'm looking up the A&N page right now. Uh, oh, Kanaboon? Yeah. Kanaboon. Kanaboon and then the Peggy's. Yeah, Peggy's did the ending theme. But, yeah, Kanaboon oh, yeah. did oh, the and all, they also apparently did one of the many openings for Naruto Shippuden, specifically opening 16. Uh, and they did the first... Now I'm, they did... now I'm really wondering how many uh, openings Shippuden had. Uh, <laughs> Probably a lot. There will be at least... There should be at least uh, 20. <laughs> oh, Lord. Wow. The, the, because they, they, they change the opening roughly every 25 episodes. Oh, that's a lot of episodes. Yeah, suddenly was leaving my body just even thinking about that number of ep- episodes. It was five hundred episodes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, sure. Uh, oh God, dude. That's uh, what they all say. <laughs> uh huh. That's like that's like two hundred hours of anime. Oh, uh huh. Uh, well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> it's not even a patch on One Piece because uh, by the time One oh, Piece, oh yeah, is... no, One Piece, One Piece is in in, in a whole other <laughs> oh. like league. <laughs> oh, by the time One Piece is done, it's going to be over a thousand episodes easily. Um, same, same for Detective Conan. Yeah, and, and at that point, the female character designs in One Piece will have become so distorted that like. There is, it's essentially they're just going to be like the Rayman design, except they're just going to be like boobs and a butt, just like theoretically attached to each other, like nothing in between. <laughs> like I've seen, I've seen images of what Nico, like what uh, I think it's Nico's design uh, looks like Na- now. Nami, or, Nami no, was or, Nami's Nami's the one design. who's really evolved. Yeah, I've seen what Nami's design looks like now, and it is nuts to compare it with how she started, and not in a good way. <laughs> Are we going for two uh, hours tonight? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we should probably just end it here. Yeah. Well, I'm, just, I'm just saying, we're, we're wandering off on the territory that is like, well, we haven't been here in a while. <clears throat> anyway, Sarazanma is pretty good. Yeah, I I like it a lot. I'm, I I don't entirely know why, but I do. Well, I'm gonna give these episodes fours. Uh, I think like episode three. Episode three was kind of hard for me to watch because <clears throat> because like Enta's like you know fantasizing about uh, Kazuki was really painful. Really painful because I could just feel for that dude. 
He's like, yeah, it's who, man. (laughs) Uh, I I liked him a lot, actually. I'll I'll give both of them fives. Um, Yeah, so that I think that'll be it for this episode of BakaCast. And Uh, yeah, I got it. I got it. I gotta head out, so I will see you guys later. Yeah, and I will be, uh, well, it won't matter because we record every other week now, but I will be uh, heading to Ireland uh, the Where week they drive after. crazy and on the wrong side of the bloody road. Yeah, on, on the Monday after this goes up, so uh, I'm going to be anime-free for like a week and a half. Oh. <laughs> We'll have to we'll have to figure out something. Okay, yeah, it's it's fine. When I when I get back from, I'll recover from jet lag by just binging a bunch of binging a bunch of stuff. So you well, know, binge good anime. Don't binge bad stuff. That gives you indigestion. Well, yeah, I'm gonna gonna catch up with JoJo first, obviously. Uh, anyway, good night, everybody. Wait. We have an actual outro for this thing. Yeah, uh, and uh, show notes and all those other crazy so, things that you remember. Yeah, to say I suppose again. I can actually try to remember what we do here. Uh, you can uh, send us comments or questions at projectharhi.net or at our comment section at audioentropy.com or you can send us emails at bockcast at projectharhi.net or tweet me at stilts the GM. And you can tweet me at deathslinky. And uh, Ben. Dustin. Three, two, one. Kira Kitabush. Uh, tweet me. No. Post on the site. Yeah. Well, you know, I got thought about this tweet thing, and then I keep saying that the canary dies, so I don't want to be responsible for killing the void. See you later, bye-bye.